Uh, with that, if you have a Bible with you, I want to I have you open up just to the New Testament, I'm going to say. Just kind of the first few books there, the Gospels. I'm going to actually share a few different um, interactions that happen from Jesus' ministry today. Okay, so we're going to look at one. The first one will be in John chapter 9. And if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, then we're going to flip over to Mark. So last week, we, we kicked off a new series all right, and we were coming out of a summer where we were going through the book of Ephesians, uh, and I just, I absolutely loved that. And Ephesians, a massive part of that is focused on, on unity. And so we kind of felt like this is a great time then, as we come out of that, to kind of just slow down and say, okay, if we're talking about unity in a community, let's, let's talk about what does this community actually look like? What, what is it that makes that defines this community. So we started a series that we're calling This Is Us. All right? Yes, there's a show with that name. No, it has nothing to do with it. All right. And this is looking at, like, what, what are the traits of this community? What makes us tick? What, what defines us? How do we uh, describe this community or hope that at least we can describe this community? Um, and, and it isn't just as, as simple as saying, well, Jesus all right, like that's, of course, that's a massive part of why we gather. But if you think about it, like I think almost every church would say like Jesus is the reason of why we do this. And yet as you walk into different churches, um, almost every single one of them is going to feel different. It's going to be slightly different. And so if we all had the exact same thing in mind, you would expect that it would look the same. So obviously there are other things at play here. How do we actually try to uh, grow closer to Jesus? How do we spend time together as a community? And, and so that's what we're kind of looking at. We're trying to define what it is that we think makes us who we are as a church and as a community. All right? And maybe at times we fall short of the things that we're saying. In fact, definitely we fall short of that. But part of that is just saying, okay, that's fine. We're going to get up. We're going to kind of brush ourselves off and we're going to try again. And we're always going to be striving for something in this community. We always want to be pushing forward. We don't want to be okay with just the status quo if the status quo is not moving us closer to Jesus. All right? And so we said last week that uh, maybe through us defining what this community looks like, you end up finding out that you're like, you know what, I... I don't know if I'm kind of headed in the same direction as this community. And that's completely fine. All right, and like churches need to say this more and have a little bit more of an open attitude in this. Like, that's okay. This church is not the church for everybody. I'll be the first one to say that. There's going to be people that walk through our doors that feel like, ah, I just don't know. I don't know if this is the direction I'm moving. And that's okay. And we want to, in fact, celebrate with you Pray a blessing over you and say, hey, let's, let's help you find the community where you feel like God is leading you to. All right? And so let's not feel weird about those things when you're like, ah, I don't know if this is for me or not. And, but here's what we said last week, and this is important to carry with us through this series. All right? And I'm going to reiterate this each week. Something can't be true of a community that isn't true of the individuals that make up that community. Right? Like, we can't say this is what our church is all about if that's not what we as people are all about. All right? Like, as we talk about this church and community and what we are striving for, what the characteristics of this community are, that has to describe the majority of us. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. You can't say we are a generous church that is filled with a bunch of stingy people, it doesn't work. 
Like you, it, to, for something to be true of a community, it must be true of the people in it. Like we are the church. We understand that, right? Like the church is not just this organization. We are the church. So to say that the church is something means that we have to also be that same thing. All right, so our statement that we said last week when we kicked this off was this. We said our community authentically gathers together to share our lives with one another. All right? This means not putting on a mask and pretending like everything is fine. Like when we gather, which we want to do often, you know, not just Sunday mornings, we want to be part of each other's lives, uh, we gather in a way where we are honest about our struggles. Churches should absolutely be the best place for you to question things and to express doubts and concerns and to walk through what you really believe and what you are struggling with. But unfortunately, too often, churches shut that down and they expect everyone just to believe it because I said it. Okay, I don't care if you're struggling with it. We said it. That's what we believe. You have to believe this. But the church really should be this healthy place of expressing those doubts and concerns. And and so why is it that we believe this? And so we want to gather authentically and share not just the good parts of our lives, but the junk as well. uh, Because that's what gives us opportunities to love and encourage one another. So today we're going to jump into a second statement because each week we have a statement about our community that we are making. All right. Uh, And so we're going to jump into a second statement of of how these things play out in each of our lives. Okay. So if you're you're willing and able, I'd love for everyone to just stand. I do want to just pray right here uh, as we jump into this message just to take a moment and kind of uh, just allow God to even begin to speak to us right now. So Jesus, we just ask that as as we go about this, Lord, that God, that you would just speak to each one of us individually, but also as a community. Lord, that we would feel the areas where we aren't quite living up to what we've been called to live as. God, that that we would first address that as individuals, and as we do that, that we would see just this communal aspect of our church begin to change and begin to be something that is a community that is thriving, that is life-giving, that people want to be part of. So, Lord, we, just, we, we pray that you would start that right now in each one of us. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Last week, our focus was kind of like, how do we connect with other people in the community, in the church? Um, this week, we are going to kind of move uh, into a new direction of how do, we, how do we connect with God? How do we connect with people outside of the church? Okay, and because we, we can't do this alone. We talked about community last week because this is not meant to be done alone. All right, this idea of like, I, I can be a Christian off on an island and never interact with other believers, that's not a biblical idea at all. You won't find that anywhere in scripture. Like, we were meant to do this together. All right, and so today we are going to start to move towards what does this look like outside of just these four walls in this community? Uh, what does this look like for me and my relationship with God uh, and me and, and just my relationship with the community around me? And so here's our statement Our community contagiously pursues Jesus with everything we have. All right, now, what I said last week is is each one of these statements, it has to do with what we do, that's pursuing Jesus, but then it's also going to have to do with how we do it. And so how we pursue Jesus is we pursue him contagiously and with everything that we have. All right, and th- this means that we don't just sort of say like, yeah, I believe Jesus is God. I, I believe that. This is, I believe that everything I have in my life, my money, my time, my resources, my family, my talents, down to the breath that is in my lungs, 
All of that was given to me by Jesus, and I'm going to use every one of those things to pursue him. And when we do that in a life-altering way, the people around you will notice. That's the thing. People will notice. And our world is so filled with, with stress and trying to have it all and burning the candle at both ends and trying to measure up and make more money and live this ultimate dream life uh, that usually actually makes you feel more empty, all right, because we're chasing the wrong things. Um, and so when you see someone who is living with a greater purpose than themselves, you are going to be attracted to that. You're going to want to ask about it. You're going to want what it is that they have. And, and so trust me, like everyone wants to figure out how to live the best life that they can. And the world tells us that that's by acquiring as much stuff as we can. You know, that's a, a massive thing. Instead, Jesus points to a different way that has a greater purpose than just yourself. And when we live that way, it will become contagious. Oftentimes I think, we think of this idea of sharing our faith and, and it's really intimidating and we think that we have to have all these Bible verses memorized and we have to be, you know, be able to walk through the letter of Romans with somebody and point to this verse, that one, that one, that one and repeat this prayer after me. And, and we, we like put all these different things on this idea of what sharing our faith is uh, that, that it just becomes so intimidating to us. When in reality, when we go after God and when we begin to see the ways that he's moving in our lives, and then we talk about those things that he's doing, it automatically becomes contagious. And I want to look at a few interactions that Jesus had where I think we see this play out in the exact way. So the first one is in the book of John, chapter 9. And so go ahead if, if you have a Bible and find that, otherwise it'll be on the screen. And, and this is a story of a man who was born blind, all right? Uh, and then Jesus kind of comes across him, and Jesus sees him, and his disciples, and I just think this must be the most like feels like most inappropriate thing because it feels like they're standing right next to him and the disciples are like hey Jesus why is this guy blind is he blind because of his parents like sins like they did things wrong in their life and so then he was born blind and Jesus is like no not not at all like this is a moment for God's God to be glorified and for this man to be healed all right, and so Jesus rubs mud in the guy's eye, which had to be really weird, um, and sends him on his way to be healed. And so God moves in his life in, in a pretty amazing way because he's healed, his eyes are opened up, and he can see. All right, and what I want to look at is the response that happens to this movement of God. Okay, and so we're going to start in verse number 8, John chapter 9. And it says this, His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. I love this. Like, there's a major change in someone's life. People ask about it, and he, he just kind of, people ask because they're nosy, right? And he just kind of shares the story. And at the end of this, like, you know, in this, he, he's not reciting a bunch of scripture. He's not explaining that Jesus is the Messiah. He's not answering theological questions. He just tells them what happens. And when they say, well, where's Jesus? He doesn't even have the answer. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where he went. 
And then it turns into this big thing because the religious leaders start asking questions. And so they bring him in. And they're saying, well, who, who did this? What happened? All these different things. And they start asking who he thinks Jesus is. And he's like, I don't know, maybe a prophet because of what happened to me? I mean, he doesn't even have the right answers. This should encourage you and I. Right? Like, this guy is 0 for 2 on questions he's been asked. Where is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I don't know. And it turns into this big drama-filled escapade. And the leaders actually, they call in his parents. And they're like, is this actually your son? Was he actually born blind? And they're all worried about getting in trouble. So they're like, he's an adult. Ask him yourself. They're just throwing him under the bus. <laughs> they're like, all right, that's, I don't want to get in trouble. So they call him back in again for a second time. All right, and, and this is how it goes. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. His response, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. I love that. It's the most like simple response. He doesn't have to have all the right answers. I was blind, now I'm not. My life was one way, now it's different. This is what happened. This is the change. This is what God has done. It's this beautiful just interaction that we see. Okay, I want to look at another story. You move back a couple books. We're going to look in Mark chapter 5. And in this one, Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee, crossing over, and he's moving from the Jewish area to an area um, that is, is very Greek and Hellenistic in how it is being um, influenced. Okay, and so this is going to be where a lot of Gentiles live and, and, and things like that. And so Jesus is, is moving across the sea there, and as they're going, a big storm comes up. Maybe you remember this story if you've heard it before. And the storm comes up, and Jesus actually calms the storm. All right, and it just like calms down. Then they get to the shore, uh, and at this point, uh, this guy comes running out from like these caves, this cemetery, this place where they were burying all the dead people. That's where he was living, okay? And he comes running out towards Jesus, uh, and he is possessed by a demon, actually several, it says. Um, and he, it says he comes like shrieking and screaming and asking what Jesus wants, uh, and in the end, Jesus has this interaction with them. He, he casts out the demons, sends them into a herd of pigs. The pigs go flying off a cliff into the sea and they die. Okay, so then you have these guys standing there. They're responsible for all these pigs. And they're like, no one is going to believe this. We are so dead. There's no way this guy's going to give me a reference for my next job. I just lost thousands of pigs. All right, and so they go running off into town because they're like, we need to get people to believe us. And, and they kind of start bringing people back, okay? And so it says this. Um, this is Mark chapter 5, verse 14. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed, that's a new thing for him, and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Like there is such a drastic change that it scares them. They don't even know what to do with this. And, and so side note here, not everyone is going to love the changes that God does in your life. And often it's the people that know you the, the best. If they knew the old you, 
all right? And sometimes it's because maybe they think you're just faking it. Or maybe they think, well, now that person thinks they're better than I am. Or maybe they're just miserable and life is easier for them when everyone else is miserable too. And so when your life begins to change and God moves, not everyone is going to love that. Not everyone's going to be happy. Okay, verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed at what he told them. This is the Decapolis. It's called like these ten towns in that area. And actually down the road, we see that for some reason, there's a great response to Christianity in that region. People actually, when Christians are being persecuted, they start to flee to that region. Uh, And I think 100% is because we go back to this story of this man going around to ten towns and sharing what Jesus has done, that then later there's a, a, a much better response. And so he goes, he doesn't preach the Torah. He's not explaining the laws. He's not having a theological discourse. He went and just talked about what Jesus had done in his life. How he used to be one way and now he's another. Sharing Jesus with people shouldn't be intimidating. At least not as intimidating as we make it. It it is as simple as just pointing to your own life. But here's the problem. If, If our relationship with Jesus is simply defined by going to church on some weekends and that's kind of it, that's hard to point to and say, hey, you should do this too. And they're like, no, I prefer sleeping in on Sunday. And they're going to have a great argument. Like if that's the change that's in your life is I just now give up a quarter of my weekend. That's not a good sell. There has to be actual visible, like drastic change that is in our life. That's why we want to pursue him with everything that we have. We want to experience him in a way that is truly life-changing. Like it changes every area of our life. How we think, how we talk, how we interact with others, how we view the world, how we view injustice, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, the the way that we raise our kids, the way we, we date people, the way we spend vacations, all of our priorities, like all of this, all of this needs to be changed. In order to be contagious, you have to be changed. That doesn't mean that you had to once be a drug dealer and now you lead a choir at a church. Okay, that's that's not what we're saying. It's not this like, you have to go from this terrible thing to here. But is there a noticeable change in your life? Because the way that we are called to live as followers of Jesus, it's not what comes natural to us. I think what a lot of people think of what God does, they're like, you know what, I was a pretty good person. And now maybe I'm just a little bit of a better person. You're like, that's, that's, not, that's not how Jesus changes us. He flips us upside down. The way he calls us to live is not natural. When we give our complete allegiance to King Jesus, you don't even phrasing it in that way. It should change everything. Even if we're the kindest person in town, there should be a noticeable change because the reason why we do everything has now shifted. That's what it means to pursue Jesus with everything we have, with every fiber of our being. This means that when we gather together, we are always starting from a place where we say, there's more for me to do. There's more growth that can happen. I haven't reached the goal yet. I can always try to reflect Jesus more. 
And we aren't satisfied with the status quo of just being a good person. That's when we do our Sunday morning prayer. I try, I try every week to just start by saying, God, whatever you're going to do today, would you start it in me? Because I need it. I need it. I'm not there yet. There is so much in me that needs to change. Would you start it in me? And when we pursue him with everything we have, others are going to notice. That's not why we do it, but it will happen because living for a purpose bigger than yourself is contagious. And that's when others start asking questions. They'll start to want whatever it is you have. They want to have purpose in life. And you have the perfect opportunity to just point to what Jesus has done for us and then say, hey, he can do it for you too. All right, so real practically, what does this look like? Maybe, maybe you don't feel like this statement that we said today, uh, that that statement describes you. Well, if the statement doesn't describe you, you should want it to. And so that means right there, there are places for growth in your life. And I'm, I'm going to give us just some really basic steps here. Sometimes we need someone to just say clearly the basic steps, even if we could figure it out on our own. So here's the first thing. If you want to start to move in this direction, the first thing, we need to actually be all in on pursuing Jesus. You have to go after him with a passion and desire and steadfastness that will create change in the trajectory of your life. Like both on a large scale, like the purpose and the direction of your life, but also on a small scale where it impacts every single little detail of your day. This has to be where it starts. Secondly, we need to be looking for and recognizing God moving in our lives. God is working in my life and your life every single day. The question isn't, is he doing it? It's, are we able to see it and recognize it? And at times, we need to allow him to work in bigger ways that because we lack trust in him or we aren't willing to be open to what he has, uh, we might actually kind of be hindering him from moving. That might sound weird, like what can I do against the God that created everything? But our God does not force anything on us. He's given us free will. He gives us choice. And so when we wake up and choose to be comfortable instead of moving where God wants us to, God is saying, okay, I'll let you do that. He allows us to make that choice. So we have to be willing to, to step out of those comfort zones. When we say we're pursuing Jesus with everything, that means we are putting ourselves in a spot where God can move however he wants to. And for God to move however he wants, we have to be completely surrendered. Because whatever area you're still hanging on to a little bit, it means God can't move in that area. Or God won't. I'm not going to say God can't. God won't. Because you're saying, no, this is mine. You can move in everything else. When it comes to forgiveness for this person in my family that did this, that I've been hanging on to and I'm bitter about for the last 10 years, you can't move in that area. But feel free to move in my finances. I could use a little more in the bank account. When we hang on to things, we aren't allowing God to move. When we surrender, we'll see it happen. And one of the main things that's necessary for us to recognize it is to live actually with gratitude. If you aren't grateful for the things in your life, you will never see the blessings that are there. All right, if you live with an entitled attitude, like everything I have is because of me, or uh, of course God did that for me, like he better, he owes me. You know how much I've done for him? 
Last month, I even threw a $20 bill in the offering plate. So I better see some return on that, God. You need to start moving in my life. You know, and we have this entitled attitude. Like, we are not going to see things then. We, we have to live with thankfulness in our lives so we can recognize how God has blessed us. Then, after we put ourselves in that spot and we recognize how he's working, then the next step is we need to actually acknowledge it. We need to point to it. We need to talk about it. We need to allow whatever it is that he's doing to actually change us long term and not just in that moment. And as we allow it to happen, as we talk about it, as we are changed by it, other people are going to notice and they will either, they will either become judgmental or they will become curious. All right? And you can't do much for the person who's judgmental. Just let them think what they want. You pray for them. Hopefully they have a heart change. Not ever in your life, we said that, is going to be excited about the change that happens. All right, you can't change their attitude. Just keep loving them. But those that are curious, you now have a wide open door to talk about what God is doing in your life. And you need to do that. Craig Rochelle is a, a pastor down in the south. He uh, runs a, a big church down there. And um, he recently was going through a sermon series where they were talking about like relationships. And he was talking about dating um, and he had kind of said this line that I loved, and I think it applies to so much more um, in our life. Um, and so he was talking about it in the context of going on a few dates with somebody. And, and he, says, uh, he says, you know, if you've, if you've gone out a few times and you've heard uh, about uh, their pets and their family and their job and what they do for fun, all right, but like you haven't heard about God, that should be a red flag. Because he says this, he says, uh, people will talk first about what matters most. And I, I heard that line and I'm like, I love that. That is so good. Like people will talk first about what they care about the most. And if you haven't heard about God, then I'm going to go ahead and assume that you probably don't care that much about that. Because if you did, you would be talking about it. And I think th this is true. Like, when I was doing youth pastoring, a lot of people were like, man, teenagers, they, they don't ever talk. I can't get a teenager to ever talk. You know, they just sit there and I try and ask them a question. And I said, that is not true. Teenagers love to talk. You're just talking about the wrong things. They want to talk about what they love. If you get a teenager going on that, they will not stop. All right? And there, there was a night I was hanging out with one of our teenagers, and we were out by that map out there. And I didn't know this, but he loves everything, geography, everything. And we sat there, and I thought I was, like, stumping him. I'm like, okay, what are, your, what are your favorite countries? And he just lists off these super random. It's like, oh, okay. So then we started into this, like, quizzing thing. He, I kid you not, he had what his favorite currencies were around the world. He had what his favorite ecosystems were. He had his favorite, like, we stood there for, like, 30 minutes as he went on talking just about, like, global things. And I was like, this is amazing. When you're talking about something that you care about and you love, it's natural. It's easy. So if we don't find talking about what God is doing in our life natural and easy, we've got to start asking some questions. And that, that might be a little bit of a harsh statement right now, but seriously, do you love what God is doing in your life? Are you able to share what is happening? And not in a weird or pushy way. You just talk about what God's doing. How something used to be hard for you and now it isn't. 
how you didn't have any hope or purpose and now you do. How you used to be filled with anger and, and bitterness and now you feel empathy and love. Because if you've really changed and you care about that, you, you will talk about it. And then lastly, if you really want to be contagious and for this to actually spread, I'd say then you, you need to challenge them. If they're curious and asking and you've talked about it, then challenge them. Share what it is that is happening. And when you feel like the time is right or you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you, you challenge them and say, hey, you know what? Jesus can do the same thing for you. I believe that. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about giving him a chance? Yesterday we had a, a funeral here and, and my challenge was really simple of just saying, our world's terrible at mourning and grieving. They are. And so I just said, you know, I see some great ways throughout Scripture of maybe how we can handle this. So my encouragement to everyone there, because it was a very diverse group as far as beliefs, and I just said, you ever thought about maybe giving God a chance to be part of this process? Wasn't anything strong, wasn't this big fire and brimstone? And that's where some people are. And maybe they'll respond in that moment, maybe they won't. And that's fine. But you're, you're starting that process and you're starting to talk about it. Maybe it means you're just encouraging them to be open to God or maybe helping them see the way that God is moving in their life. Invite them to a place where they could encounter God in a new way. All right, and all of this requires us to actually have people in our life that don't have Jesus in theirs. So if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and everybody that you interact with is also a follower of Jesus, you need to change that crowd. That doesn't mean you need to walk away from those relationships and be like, oh, you love Jesus? Get away from me. But we need that as well. We need that community. But do you have relationships where they can look to you and be encouraged in what God is doing? And they need to be close enough that they can see how God's moving and they can see the change. And this challenge part, people can get so intimidated. But understand, if they are asking about your life, if they're asking about the change, they're wanting more. God's already working on them. Everyone wants purpose. Everyone wants to live the best way they can. They just don't know how to do that. And they see change in your life and they're genuinely curious. And there's probably people in your life that have already been watching you, that are already at this spot. And maybe you can even think of some of those relationships where you're like, you know what, maybe I need to take this next step and actually challenge them. So keep praying about who that might be. Be able to, to invite them. I, I love the story of the four friends that build a mat and get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Sometimes all we have to do is build a mat. Get them to a spot where they can encounter God. We don't have to be the one. that We don't come in and save anybody. We don't have to have all those answers. Can we just get them to a spot where they can encounter Jesus? You know, that's, that's a little bit of what this Celebration Sunday coming up. I, I genuinely believe that this is a great opportunity for someone to show up and encounter God in a new way. Worship team, once you guys come, the rest of us, can we stand? I want to challenge each one of us. Pastor Aaron's going to come here then. And what is it? Where, where in this process are you? Maybe you need to take this pursuit of Jesus a little bit more seriously so that you actually begin to see some change. Maybe when you look at your life right now, you would say, I don't know if there's really any difference before Jesus and after Jesus. 
Maybe you just need to get better at recognizing it, acknowledging it, talking about it, sharing it with others, and then challenging them. And so we're going to spend just the last little bit of time here. Uh, we're going to go back into some time of worship and things. And I'm going to have Pastor Aaron just come and kind of walk us into this, this moment here and just challenge us so that we can respond in a healthy way. So I was thinking and writing, desperately writing notes because he keeps saying good lines this morning. <laughs> There's so many things. I was just thinking about my life and, and I actually was funny in our volunteer time. I try not to take too much time here, but our volunteer time, I was telling him this morning I had an opportunity. I had to run to the grocery store to pick up half and half for our cafe. A really important thing, right? But here's the thing. I ran into a former, uh, somebody I used to work with like 13 years ago. And she happened to be at the funeral yesterday. And we got to talking and she's just like, something was said at the funeral yesterday that stuck with her. And she just looked at me as I'm holding half and half in my hand this morning. She goes, there's something different about you. And she's like, I don't, what is it? And I said, well, I'm going after God with everything. And here's the thing, I think that there are a lot of us sitting in the seats, and maybe you're like me, who grew up in a Christian home, and we've sat in church for a lot of years. And we think we're doing the right thing, and we're doing our devotion, but we're not pursuing and giving our full allegiance to Jesus. And I spent a lot of years saying, and I was a follower of Jesus, but I wasn't really living it out. I wasn't passionately pursuing him with everything that I was. And so the difference that she sees in me from just 10, 13 years ago to what is now, it's not because I'm a pastor. That has nothing to do with it. It is because I finally decided that I'm going to go after God with everything that I am. Because I am here with a purpose and a plan. And so I want to challenge some of us sitting in the room here that maybe we've been following God for a long time. But we need to take that next step and actually passionately pursue Jesus. Not a Sunday morning service, not a checkbox on a devotion time in the morning, but passionately pursuing Jesus. Because that's what's made the difference. That's what's made the difference. So we're going to spend the next few moments uh, really responding to this. Maybe your response is going to be singing along uh, in worship as we sing these songs. I'm going to invite our prayer teams right now to come up front. We're going to have a prayer team in the front. We're going to have a prayer team member in, the, in that back corner. Maybe we're going to respond with prayer. Maybe there's something that God is laying on your heart like, I need to do this. This is my next step. Maybe there's something going on in your life that, that you just need prayer for. We want to pray with you. We want to be a family together. We pray first about those things. But maybe our response is even going back to that corner and taking communion and understanding what God has done for us and just taking a moment to say, thank you, God, for pursuing me, for going after me and saving me. And so maybe our response is that. And so there are just different ways that you can respond this morning, but please do not walk out of here the same. Somebody that just comes and checks a box. But let's begin to pursue him with every part of us. Father God.
I just pray that in the next few moments that we would open our hearts and our lives up to you and God and be real and honest and authentic in what we need to do. And God, help us to respond to this, not just write it in a notebook, in our journal, or in the Bible, but God, to actually live this out so that we become so contagious that this, this, this town, our homes, our state, our nation would just be captivated by how we are living our lives. So God, move. Holy Spirit, fill this place. Challenge us and change us. Thank you for pursuing us and saving us and, and giving of yourself so that there's no longer a veil between us. In Jesus' name.